The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot. Registration is open for No Longer Virtual, coming up February 26th and 27th, 2024, in Missoula, Montana. Limited to 25 participants, you make this event meaningful. Topics for the sessions this year include managing life and work as an entrepreneur or internal innovator, finding creativity at work, using Agile, the project structure usually associated with IT work, to improve communication and outcomes in your non-tech business, and so much more. Every session is hosted by the people who attend. No keynotes. All sessions are interactive workshops to get the most out of those side conversations and leverage all of the great experience that's already in the room. But what people who attend NLV say they value the most about this summit is the relationships they build that continue to support and nurture them at work and in their career throughout the year and well into the future. Early registration is extended through January 15th, 2024, and there are a few spots left. So join us. Don't miss this opportunity. Register at elkinsconsulting.com. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. As you know, if you've been a listener for a while on this podcast, your stories matter and how you tell them changes how you experience yourself. It changes your internal dialogue and it definitely affects the way people experience you. So remember, when you hear a story, try not to freeze somebody in that moment of time because their next story might completely change your perception of them. Today's guest is Chris Lopez, and I was lucky enough to be introduced to him um, online through LinkedIn. And I know, listeners, you're going to have a great time listening to these stories just glancing through his LinkedIn profile will give you the impression that this is somebody you'll want to know a lot more about. So Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to connect with you and and to have some dialogue over some good stories. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because people often don't realize how important it is that they think about the stories they're telling, the intention yes. behind them. And um, I've heard so many times where people say, oh, I don't have any good stories. And it just, it breaks my heart a little <laughs> to hear anybody say that. <laughs> and then the worst part is that what they're talking about is those big epic stories that people love to tell. And as much fun as they can be, as entertaining as they can be, those aren't the stories that people really resonate with that make you connected <laughs> to the person in front of you. So, That's true. Let's get started. Um, I love to ask my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know about them. And I do that because it helps us understand the complexity of each person that we hear on this podcast. And with over 300 episodes, I can tell you, there are so many different approaches to this question. Every time it's a little bit different. So what do you think? Do you have something to share? I do. I think, uh, well, my story would, would date back from childhood. Um, I think a lot of people think I'm this really outgoing individual. Most people, you asked if they ever met me, they're like, he's really positive and outgoing. Um, I've not always been that way. As a kid, I was very shy, a very like a recluse, very dark kid. Um, there's really many stories behind that. But um, I, I used to be a break dancer. I started break dancing, and um, when it was not popular, and <laughs> that helped me kind of break out of my shell of being, you know, this shy, dark kid, into being something that I just went for it all the time. And it became really popular and I started really getting into it. And it was, it defined a lot of majority of my childhood of becoming a breakdancer. And I think even to this day, I kind of dress still as such, right? I still have the hoodies. <laughs> I still have, you know, if the hats and whatnot, but it, 
it was a really part of my life that I enjoyed and it really helped me, you know, build confidence and to kind of, you know, do things that were not as popular until they became popular. That is such a good story. It's, it's funny that so many of us are, we start out with something in us that we don't, we can't quite recognize. And it seems so contradictory to where we end up. But right. we can always find the the path, right? The the breadcrumbs that led us there. So I'm Most curious. Definitely. Yeah. So you started with breakdancing. Why? Why? Where where did you see somebody doing it that you went, oh, I want to do that? Well, I saw it on Beach Street. So Beach Street was a video I ran across. Um, and I thought it was amazing how they were kind of like popping and locking and doing all these things. And I was always really big into music. And to this day, I still love music. I've I still have a passion for it. Um, so I I started getting more and more into it in that way. And then I started discovering there's a whole underground culture that was involved in and surrounding it and other big cities, um, but not quite in the city I was in at the time. I grew up in a very small town, very poor town. So you know, I was I was break dancing in a single trailer with you know. When you, whenever you jump or do anything, the possibility of you like going through the floor was very highly likely. <laughs> wow, where was that? I was in Quenada uh, Verde, Texas. So oh, that's wow. south of San Antonio. It's it's very uh, uh, nobody really knows of it. Um, no, <laughs> it's unfamiliar. <laughs> I've been to Texas a yeah. few times, and that's an unfamiliar town name. Wow, yeah. wow. So I'm just imagining you as a little kid. You're like. 10, maybe 12? Probably like 10, 11, starting yeah. to get into it. So I could totally see this 10, 11 year old Chris watching this video, probably on VHS. Which, yes. I mean, we're probably not quite the same age, but that was, that was okay. So you're sitting in this double wide or single wide? Single wide, single wide. Single wide. Oh, <laughs> even smaller. And you're watching this video. Where, did you eventually actually see somebody doing this like in person? What was that experience? I got my hands. I went to go to the mall with my grandmother and I saw people dancing there and I started to talk with them and kind of asking, where did you do this? Like, where does this happen at? And they're like the skating ring. So I, when I go visit my grandma, she lived in San Antonio, which is like the big city compared to where we were at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I started asking my grandmother, I was like, I really want to go to the skating ring. She's like, why are you want to get into skating? I like, I don't want to get into skating. I'm dancing at these places. So I started going to the skating ring and it started dancing and started doing a lot of that stuff there. And I found myself doing it every weekend that I would always go visit my grandma even more so now. So my parents are like, why are you going to go see your grandma so much? Like, what do you have going on over there? <laughs> and then I just really jumped into the culture and and I really enjoyed it. I, it got me to the point where I was on stages and I was dancing in front of like a big audience. Um, I made some of the best friends during that time. And some of these people I'm still friends with to this day. I mean, there's, there's, you know, 25 years of friendship behind a lot of these kind of relationships that I had, you know, made during this time period in my life. Oh and there was, and there, that's awesome. And there was a good, <laughs> And there was good and bad with it, right? There was good influence and bad influence as we got older. And, you know, a lot of the music and hip hop and whatnot can, can, it has two sides to it. And it was just became a part of my narrative as a kid. And, and I found myself, you know, kind of looking to get out of, you know, that environment and into the military. And, and I signed up and went on an adventure for 20 years. (laughs) 20 years. Wow. I, I'm still like imagining this 10 year old kid showing up at the mall and seeing these other, <laughs> they're probably what, 16, maybe they're not that much older than you. And right. what struck me is how brave you were because you're kind of shy. You're kind of dark. Your grandmother's with you, which could be embarrassing. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. I was never embarrassed about being my with my grandmothers because they were kind of hip as far as grandmothers yeah. go. But I can imagine you showing up and it just takes so much courage to do that. So maybe this is our first breadcrumb. I think it I definitely it definitely was uh, because I was in a position to where 
it's do I have I mean do I keep hold of this like insecurity and and not willingness to talk to people to they're doing what I'm wanting to do like they're doing exactly right. what I want to do I want I need more information about it so I was put I was I was the most nervous I've probably ever been in my life to yeah. to address these kids that are like you said that are that are older I think they're the coolest people that ever walked to earth and I'm like just kind of approaching them and then they <laughs> welcome me and I'm like oh, it's not that bad <laughs> then you really have that I I'm so glad we're talking about this right now because just a few weeks ago I had an experience where I felt really brave and I'm in my 50s and I still was like hesitant to ask for something that I wanted right. and the what I posted about it it wasn't the thing itself that was such a big deal which was singing in a jazz club in Paris which is something I'd like total bucket list item right but what was so intense for me was that I realized my fear of regret outweighed my fear of discomfort. And that's what I'm hearing in this story. And my guess is that because you were welcomed that way by those people, that changed your path in two ways. One is you wanted to be that older kid at some point to provide that support and comfort to some other kid that was in your position in the future. And two, made you realize, well, I asked that time and it worked out. So I'm just going to ask again. <laughs> Is that accurate? Exactly. It's very accurate. And even to this day, I, I'm still the same way. Like I've, I am, I am more scared to not ask the question or to try things. And I know that I'm going to fail. Like I dislocated my arm 38 times learning how to dance. Holy I've, shit. I've, Ouch. I've been, I've been on stage and and threw my arm out and landed on my face in front of a huge audience. I've I've gone through so many things to try to to get that one move down to do and to be completely embarrassed, injured, recover, and then come back to it and try it again. So wow, it's, that is persistent. <laughs> that is it persistent. is, and it's it it's is. embodied in everything you do, even it now. I mean, just. Knowing this much about you, and for the listeners, they can't see me right now, but I'm making that pinching vision with my forefinger, my index finger, and my thumb. Like this much I've known you, and I already see that this, you infuse that into everything you do. Even I mentioned your kid is playing a video game right now. He's gaming right now. He is. So I bet that you infuse that kind of mentality in your kid like be persistent you find something you want to do um go all out and i'm there and i back them on everything and, and sometimes they they uh i don't think they see what i'm trying to like instill within them but i yeah. i just want them to try things don't give up like a like my daughter uh, my 20 year old daughter when she was younger she was the same way as i was and she's like dad i really want that i really want that sweater at the store i'm like We'll go ask them if you want it. No, I'm not going to ask if they have my size. And I'm like, you have to do this. If not, you're not going to get it. I'm not doing it for you. Right? I can't want it more than you want it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I just heard that from, I interviewed a, a woman who is just exceptional in personal training and behavior change. Um, She's amazing. And she said that when a client comes to her and isn't showing up, and isn't putting in the work, that's what she says to them. Her name is Nikki Campbell. And she says, I can't want this more than you want it. And mm-hmm. I just heard that recently. And ever since then, it's kind of flipped the switch <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Right. And there's these, there's this thing like you have to, you have to want it bad enough to where it puts you in a position to where it might not, you already, I think you have enough doubt. Like it's not, it might not happen. That means you're doing something meaningful. And when, if you, if you come back and run from it, it's not going anywhere. It's still that, that dream and that those, those passions and all this stuff are still going to be there. And I've seen so many people live with regret of not doing something or I, without even trying it. Right. And then I've seen those that have failed and said, this wasn't that bad. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. And then, mm-hmm. 
at least they tried and gave it their all versus just kind of quitting at the starting line. Right. Well, and one of the things I I read recently, I can't remember where it was, was that you don't have to be good at it, right? Um, It was somebody famous who said that he had tried a lot of different things. And when he talked to somebody somebody famous that he was uh, being mentored by, he said, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. I've tried all these different things. I'm not good at anything. And the guy said, oh, no, this is what makes you interesting. Is yeah. that you're so curious, you're just going to keep trying different things, even if you're not good at it. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's so much stuff like coming together in my head right now. <laughs> One of the things that just popped into my head is how we met. And yes. I don't know why I my brain fog just hit, but it was Jeff Furman that I it interviewed was. It was on Jeff. my podcast a while back. And he is, talk about a connector of people. So, okay, back to the story. (laughs) I'm a little off target here. I want to come back to um, what you're doing now, because Jeff just briefly introduced us and told me a little bit about you. He, He always comes to me first and says, I know somebody I think you should meet, but I want to ask you first before I make the introduction, which I think it's such an honor when he makes introductions like that. So thoughtful, right? Very, very. That's that's Jeff for you. He's he's amazing. He is. He's such a good human. So he, when he introduced us, he said, I know you're going to like him, but I just want to, you know, here's his info. And what I want to hear from you that I think will help our audience really get a feel for what we're talking about here is what I, the way I, I approach it is I say, tell me what you do without telling me what you do. And how that goes is you tell a story about a recent interaction in your income producing life, you know, for lack of a, for lack of using the word job, because I don't, I don't like that when we're self-employed because our whole life is our job, <laughs> but exactly. your income producing activity is where I'm going to go with this. Um, an experience recently where you just felt so satisfied, where you walked away from it going, yep, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Oh, that's it's so many. I feel like every day is that way, but the, the most significant, <laughs> the most, the most significant one I would say is that, um, being a, a veteran, a disabled veteran and, you know, seeing my life and my decisions of taking a chance come full, come full circle, um, recently by us hitting the Inc 5000 list as the 528th fastest growing company in the United States. And why that's so significant for me was that I was introduced to entrepreneurship while I was in the military. And I went in and tried something and was was inter- invited to the Inc 5000, not as an honoree, but as just an, a veteran attending, <clears throat> excuse me, a veteran attending as just kind of to understand what the organization is, what it's all about and trying to get knowledge and information from successful entrepreneurs. And I made it my life goal to kind of like pursue that and and meet those milestones and, and try to accomplish what those other people were accomplished while meeting and contacting and meeting some of the best people that have ever like aligned with my life ever to come and, you know, have that experience and then be an honoree on that, on that list as a 528th. So almost the top 10% of that group. And it was just an accomplishment that I was just, it felt surreal and it made me feel like you can really do anything if you put your mind to it. And I'm just really grateful and honored to, to have accomplished that with all the people that believed in my dream leading into this. Well, I can tell you the people who know you, Jeff being one of them, was so proud. And um, I always hesitate to say I'm proud of you because it sounds a little condescending. It's like doesn't it doesn't matter. But he approached it with I, I'm so proud to be part of his journey. <laughs> Most definitely. And it's and it's a, it's 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 so many people that align with you know with your belief like. from the moment I came up with the idea and my wife was like, Hey, like, let's, I support you. Let's do it. it. Like, like, I, I believe in you a hundred percent. 
And going from that moment in a hotel room to what we've accomplished thus far has been, it's been an amazing journey of ups and downs and all arounds. And, and the, mo- the one thing I didn't realize that it was going to take a personal growth path for me that, that helped me through a lot of the situations that I had to overcome in the military. You know, I've, I've been deployed, you know, several times over into bad combat. I've had to deal with PTSD and a lot of, a lot of horrible things that I deal with, like with mental health and whatnot. It's, it's been, it's helped me understand that these things are just a part of the process of becoming a better person. And I need to do those things in order to provide the services and, and then be in the industry that I've, I've chosen to put myself into. And those so things I, have been extremely hard. Oh, yeah. I, I have no doubt about that, given your history. And I think everybody has some some background that makes it feel like it's an impossible thing to have the success that you have in your head. I think most people have either the internal dialogue that's damaging or external circumstances that make it seem impossible. So I... I love the these stories of persistence here. There's there's a difference, an important distinction between resilience and persistence. And you need both. But resilience is about, I described this with a friend that I was coaching for a speech. The resilience is when you have this ball in your hand and you drop it down onto the ground and catch it. And it, it squishes a little, comes back in a ball shape, right? It's still round. But persistence is doing it again and again and having it get higher and higher every time you bounce it. So when I hear what you're talking about, that's that's what I hear is the persistence. So when um, I think our listeners probably still don't know what your company does. So yes. give us a story about a client um, that would have used your services. Well, um, we have we have... So we tailor to the, the the high net worth um, celebrities. We have um, high profile clients, like high profile executives, and we have uh, like athletes and the whole nine. Um, so catering to these types of of demographics is extremely challenging and comes with a lot of uh, expectation management. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it so, does. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's funny because one of my friends told me one time, uh, he's like, I don't understand how you provide the services that you provide to the people that could just crush you. And <laughs> and and what I and what I tell him is that um it's a mutual respect, right? Like I know I get to know things about so many people that are public people that I don't have to get to share. And I will not share just so they can understand that even though we have, even though we don't meet an expectation, even though like we, we have falling out sometimes that you're still safe to come back to us and we're not going to put you on social media. We're not going to react in a way that's going to be detrimental to you or your career. And a lot of this respect that we have for each other circles back around. And, and when we have differences about things like, it's not publicly shared. We've had TMZ call us. We've had, we've had all types of situations involving opportunities where we needed it financially in order to be rewarded to say things that we have not. And even though that's not Integrity. a specific, you know, yeah, it's, even though it's not a specific kind of situation, but it's a general kind of service that we provide. And these, and these are everything from jet charter to to home villas, to international travel around the world. And, um, and it's, it's been an honor to experience some of these situations. And, um, I love, we had one client one time and they were in Miami flying to LA. These are like billionaire musicians. I can just put it generally like that. Okay. And the love and the love for these for this couple was that he would not let her fly on any platform, any jet that was not of a specific caliber. <laughs> and he didn't care how it was going to happen or when it was going to happen. It was just I mean, he cared when it was going to happen, but he didn't care like the cost or anything. He just wanted to make sure that she was put in a position to where she was going to be okay no matter what. 
and it's and it's those type of experiences that you get to provide that is really kind of like a it feels you feel special to be able to provide a service like that yeah I, I, what i heard besides this very last story which is uh that felt good you know we kept her yeah. safe we provided the service that he and he's so um enamored with this woman that he wanted everything he could to make sure she was safe and comfortable and taken care of but the story before that all my red flags went up <laughs> about um <laughs> people behaving badly <laughs> and oh, yes. managing that relationship despite that bad behavior and I, I you know it's so easy to say well yeah of course you know these super rich billionaire celebrities with all their entitlement and privilege but everyday people behave just as badly if not worse yes they just don't have the the money or the reputation to damage in the same way so right. I, I really appreciate this um, respect and well, maybe, maybe it's not respect because sometimes you can't respect people that behave like that, but it's your integrity. You keep right. in alignment with your integrity, regardless of their behavior. Right. And it doesn't mean, and I feel like, I feel like it's easy. I feel like I'm making it easy, but I mean, there's some times where I oh, have no. felt, I <laughs> I have felt like I have every reason to react. I've, and these are these things that I say about getting better as a person and getting and working through a lot of, you know, like with, I think a lot of people with PTSD, they've, they've built a lot of emotions, right? right. So mm -hmm. I've been in emotional situations to where I'm like, no, we're going to, we're going to, we don't forget integrity right now like they are trying we're, we feel hurt you don't know, mess like, with us right yeah right but but we come off of that and we always we have people with voices of reason that come in and we i we find ways to navigate those things in a way that kind of creates you know kind of a standard across the board we're like hey we're not going to do that like let's find a way and a means to settle this in a, in a way that's 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 a win-win for everybody because it's, sometimes it's not worth your your it's not worth to gamble your dream on a situation that's emotionally driven on either end right and and beyond that in a, a month you might regret it not necessarily for the financial and business loss but for the loss of your own integrity your your ability to manage those kinds of relationships so one mm -hmm. of the other things that just kind of um, stuck with me was you said we have voices of reason around so tell me about your team because one thing that I've noticed is that the people that I like to spend time with are the ones that understand that they can't be all things and that surround themselves with a community of people that help them be better people that make them want to be better people I mean beside your kids and your spouse because hopefully that's a thing but Tell yeah. me about your team. So I feel like we've had in the, the <clears throat> how can I put this? I have felt like we have, I've come a long ways on this journey and the people that I bring in directly to do, to, to manage the company has not been working out at the way I've anticipated. And I've since outsourced and done a lot of um, cleaning, house clean, home cleaning. Yeah. And um, I've noticed that automations and technology and third party support at a higher level has given us the ability to grow in a way that safeguards are kind of. Uh, safeguards our growth and mm -hmm. i feel like i've i'm not really good at hiring people because i'm i think a lot of my compassion is set around of the potential of others versus like who they really are at the time oh ouch i totally yeah, hear and that that's been, you're and not that's been a lesson i've <laughs> yeah that's been a lesson i've learned in the last 30 days um and i'm still processing that I think, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, 
I've seen a lot of our failures surrounded on the decisions of the people I brought in. Oh, and it's wow. been, and these are people that are really like both personally meaningful to me and professionally meaningful to me. So I'm kind of going through the process of transitioning right now of like who's truly inside the organization versus mm-hmm. kind of like, who am I transact? Who's helping us transact? Right. And, right. and right now we're, we're really, we're, we're pretty thin. We're, we're, we're below five people right now. So, wow. but we're still performing and doing the same amount of lifting that we were once doing before. And it's been, uh, it's been kind of like, a kind of a process of emotionally process a lot of this stuff. And I think that it's, a. Uh, I'm trying to find a, w- a way to get better at hiring um, the right people to do to do what's right for the company. And I'm very big on like, yeah, I own the company. I started it, but I want it to be bigger than me. I don't want it to be. Right. This is this is not about me. It's about the service that we're providing and having it grow and be bigger than 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 what I do, right or wrong. Chris, I I know. I know that this is hard and that there's not a lot that can bring you comfort right now. I can tell you just yesterday, I interviewed my brother on this podcast and I have over 300 episodes. And this is the first time I interviewed my brother, which is ridiculous. should have happened a long time ago, but you know, everything happens for a reason and timing. You can't plan on something like this just happening, but he has owned his business for over 15 years now about 17 years. And he has come a long way. And he was sharing some of that journey. And it sounds like you two have had really similar experiences in in completely different industries. But being a founder and leading a team, you're finding is way harder and way more um, emotionally taxing than I think most people imagine it would be. So more than anything, I appreciate that you're sharing this struggle. People need to hear it. We need to see the complexity of you as a human beyond your business, beyond what you do every day. And that's, that's complexity right there. All of the emotion behind what you shared. And I'd also like to share that your journey becoming a leader is only at the very beginning. You have so much, well, here I go talking about potential, right? <laughs> because I I understand it as a StrengthsFinder coach. So are you familiar with Gallup's StrengthsFinder tool? Um, I think we dabbled, I think we dabbled in it in a little yeah. bit while we were in the military for leadership schools and whatnot. Yeah. So I became a certified coach in that tool years back. And I've worked with over a thousand people with that tool. And what I understand to be true is people who are founders who start something from nothing have a tendency to have a strength called restorative in their talents. Mm. These are the people that they can see something that's seriously underperforming or broken. A scale of one to 10, it's, it's at a zero or maybe a negative one. It's in pieces. And they look at that thing or person, or animal, or project, or model, or car, and they say, oh, that could be an eight. And they have this amazing intuitive sense, and they're right. Given the right time and energy that they could put into it, it, it could absolutely be an eight. The goal isn't to make it an 11, like on the Spinal Tap movie, which is one of my favorites, but the goal is to make it and eight to make it valuable and meaningful. And the reason restorative is in what's called the executing domain, the get shit done domain, is that there's a methodical approach to it. The danger, as you can imagine, comes when you see the potential in something that's underperforming. You're Mm -hmm. like, there's so much potential, but that person or project is not in the time. They're, they're not in the same place as you are. Either they don't see yeah. it, they just don't have the vision for themselves, or they see it differently and there's no convincing them. 
And it comes right back to that comment my friend Nikki said, I can't want it more than you do. Yes. And this, the hardest part is that somebody with restorative that has put this energy into something that they care so much about becomes deeply discouraged when it doesn't reach that potential. Like you feel physical pain in your heart. And that's what I'm sensing from this experience from you. It's so spot on. It's so spot on. And I, I look at, I've looked at people that way. I've looked at situations that way. And the thing is that the situations in my life have, it was, it was able to overcome those things because those are struggles and things I was dealing with and able to navigate and get, I've never, I've done so many things and never been the best. I've always been that seven or eight. And, and, but I've done a lot of seven, which is amazing. Right. There is, that is, that is nothing to be um, dismissing because, yeah, I mean, a, a seven or an eight is valuable. And right. there is a talent, and this is something that we could talk about offline that you want to look for in your team, which is called a maximizer. And this is somebody who they see your eight and they're like, oh, that could be an 11. And they get so enthusiastic that you can't help but get hold right into that energy of enthusiasm. And sometimes it's hard. And this is where a lot of founders get messed up is that they do find a maximizer, but they can't let go of their baby. They've brought mm -hmm. it to an eight. This maximizer can make it an 11, but you're, it's such an important thing to you. You put so much of your heart and soul into it that you can't, they can't pry it out of your hands. And so it'll never get to be an 11. So being able to manage that, I think, is that's as you grow as a leader, this is something that you will get so good at. You're already on your way. The fact that you're asking the right questions, the fact that you're considering where you're coming from and why you're getting to these really frustrating <laughs> markers in your life and career. That's, I mean, it's really impressive. It's really impressive. Thank you. I just felt like growth. I, I understand the pain that comes with growth and it's, it's you know, I, I started changing my habits. I started changing the way I look at things and I'm trying not to become like, you know, so pessimistic about everything. I want to, I want to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have balance. I feel like my, even myself, like going through this experience has put me at like a two or a three and realizing like and realizing that okay now how do i get to us how do i get back back on the horse and and get the right people around me to kind of do what i to do what we need to do for a company for it to survive mm -hmm. i feel like we're we're i'm trying to bring the right people in to to grow this baby and to to take it all the way through to what we want for it and it's mm -hmm. um and it will come together um it's a perfect time to end season for me to go through this. It's the beginning of the year. It's we're about to start in travel season again from March onwards. So it's putting a lot of pressure on me, but I feel like the pressure will pay off in the end. It will. I have no doubt. That's that <laughs> persistence, right? And um I I would like to hear when you think of yeah, you know, I described what restorative is. And the fact that it's a pretty methodical approach, you have this vision of getting from zero to eight and this methodical approach to it. So when you think about applying that to shifting your perspective here um, about reframing what has happened toward what could happen in the future in in your emotional life. I'm not talking about work here because you aren't talking about work here. You're talking about <laughs> being so discouraged and how hard that is, feeling like you're at a two or a three on a scale of one to 10 emotionally. So how would right. you use your restorative, that methodical approach? For what I'm going through right now? Mm -hmm. I, I don't you want know to if make this yourself is the right. <laughs> I, what I've been doing as of recently is it's trying to better understand why do I see the potential in so many things and people. And then what I've realized it was, uh, it was a lot of healing that I'm going through, like personal healing from my childhood of, you know, like 
I didn't graduate high school. I got a, I got a GED. There's, you know, I didn't have the best upbringing. There was, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of things. And I wasn't really, I didn't feel valued as a kid. And I, I didn't have a lot of people that have ever believed in me along this journey. So I've been maybe in a healthy and unhealthy way, kind of trying to give that back to somebody else. Mm-hmm and not really kind of healing from those situations that I had experienced as a kid. And even though I think I've come a long ways of processing a lot of things that I've been through, I feel like there's more work to be done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can get masked by success and accomplishments. And, and, and that doesn't mean that you've emotionally processed those things and they come out in different ways. And, this is something that's showing up for me that's really, really personal that that I'm really um, going through and assessing and and understanding like what are the, pinpointing these types of mm-hmm. things that I need to process. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think um, what benefits a lot of people with your talents is to look at the patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back at the points of conflict that you've had with certain people and, and you'll start seeing that those pieces of conflict happen with the same person, the same type of person over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then and then because you have this amazing talent of seeing the potential, you can direct that toward you. And I can I can totally see you using that approach to say, OK, today I'm here tomorrow I'm going to do this and I'm going to get to here, you know, seeing that incremental improvement and um, what better way to do that than to spend time with your kids, right? Like seeing how they see the world. I granted there, you have a teenager, right? I have seven. So I have have seven seven children. children? Oh my goodness. How old is the youngest? (laughs) uh, Three. The youngest is three. And the oldest is 22. I love when I tell people I have seven children. They're like, you don't look like you have seven children. <laughs> well, how would you tell me what a seven I'm like, how do, how child how parent to look? looks like? I know. No. I guess I'm supposed to be really stressed out just like walking around. like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe people just assume you would look older if you have seven kids. Yeah. Right. I, for me, the shock isn't your age or how you look or anything like that. It's seven is a lot. <laughs> and I, yeah. I have two. And I'm like, wow, that was exhausting. <laughs> it is. But it's I feel like it's the biggest it's been the biggest joy in my life and the biggest healing I've had. I've had the most healing by having kids because I get to see them at a stage in their life, like that or a stage in my life that they're getting to experience in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I get to see myself over and over and over again, you know, become, create a better version of me. And it's been a, it's been a wonderful process. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not the perfect dad, but I definitely, my oldest has probably been through the most because, you know, I was just so young, but as I, as, as we get older and my younger ones, they get to see the best of me and I get to see them just, thrive emotionally and 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 their education and all these other things and their and what they want out of life and you know my older ones too they're they're all amazing but it's just there's just i feel like there's there's so much privilege to see them go and become better people and they're all way better than me they're all they're all amazing they're all way better than me i'm just like like there's some there's some things that my kids do where i'm like like that's the nerdiest thing i've ever seen in my life and i'm like and i'm so awesome. glad you yeah it's so awesome <laughs> I, I love it <laughs> yeah i i feel the same way i see my kids do things that i'm like wow um our younger son is 22 now uh, just i just have to and he is so charming and everyone, everyone loves Max and everyone loves Jacob. He's the observer. Max is the mm-hmm. stage guy. He's a performer. And I remember having, I can't remember what he did, but it was super confident. And I said to my friend, and this is shortly after I started singing with a rock band for the first time in my life at 40. 
I had been classically trained musician, did jazz, did blues, did chamber music, madrigals, and here I am singing awesome. Bad Reputation on the stage. So I had I was just hitting this like, I don't know, high point. I, I just say I found my voice at 40 by singing in this rock band. I, it was just this whole transformation. But anyway, the timing matters in this story. So Max came over, he was talking to my friends and me, and I said, man, that kid, he's so confident. I don't know where he gets that. And my friend looked at me and just burst out laughing. She's like, yeah, I don't know where he gets that. And I said, are you kidding me? I didn't have that confidence until I was in my 30s or 40. And she laughed. She said, he didn't know you before that. All he (laughs) knows is this version of you. So... Uh, what that says to me is that I need to hear in the future, maybe even, maybe you can think of it now, the versions of you that your kids see. If you think about it, you know the version of that your three-year-old and up to about probably eight, because it's the mm-hmm. last eight years have been your your transformational years getting to where you are now. What What is the version of you that they are experiencing and how is that different from the version of you that you're 22 year old and down to 10, I don't know, all the ages? What's the difference in those people? I would say that my emotional availability, um, I, I feel like when they were going through those age ranges that I was probably less emotionally available because I was going through, you know, deployments now, I was I was a, I was an eighteen year old father, you know, joined the military to build a better life for my daughter, and and I was really just pouring into my career and and just trying to figure out a new identity, mm-hmm. um, you know, like going over from I felt like I, I had felt at the time was like you know eighteen years of just failure. Now I'm completely responsible for a life, and I didn't. I didn't know how to do that. And it took me, it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, I would say it probably took me 10 years to kind of like become a true 18 year old. So Mm -hmm. I was probably like 28 years old before I was like, okay, now I am, I'm probably 18 years old. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm ready. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and it's just, I guess the life experiences, and the healing that I went through during that time frame just kind of set me in a different path to be a different type of father. And to I'm I'm constantly, you know, reflecting on things like not always beating myself up, but just saying, okay, where am I at? What am I doing? Why am I doing those things that I'm doing? And how can I how can I just be how can I contribute to my life and the people around me a little bit better? Mm. Yeah. I can imagine the the story that your 22-year-old would tell about her experience with her dad and how different that will be from the younger kids. And beautiful, a beautiful difference because she is seeing the whole transformation. And what I find really beautiful about that is that she can see that it is possible. So many of us, we get into this idea of what our identity is or what our authentic self is. And we don't realize that that can change over time. So I, maybe next time we can involve your 22 year old and she can be on the call (laughs) and we can say, well, what do you think? That's definitely, you know, it's one of the reasons I started a podcast myself. And, and while I, while I do these type of things is because there's some conversations that I can't have with them maybe they're not maybe they're not ready to have those discussions or maybe they're not really hearing what i'm saying right now but i feel like these are opportunities to kind of capture who i am along the way as i continue mm-hmm. to grow and they can understand like where i'm coming from and who i was at those at those stages in my life absolutely i think most of us as children of parents that we love even you know as fallible as we know parents can be, especially now that we are parents. Um, I think most of us would like to hear that perspective from our parent to say, to be self-reflective, what kind of parent do you think you were when we were little? 
what what would you have done differently? What do you think you did well? Where do you think you would go from here if you were to start all over again? Not that it would be so different, but it's I'm I'm so curious about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Chris, this has been such a treat. <laughs> I mean, I knew I was going to enjoy our conversation, but I really um I've had like three different times during our conversation where I've had those the little chills come up the back of the the hair on the back of my neck kind of goes up and and I'm so grateful for your time. And thank you for having me as well. Like it's I feel the same way. I'm like I haven't thought about these things in in such you know depth. Even if I'm going even the stuff I'm going through right now is like I have I haven't gone that deep yet. And I'm and I'm glad that this is igniting, you know, maybe a, another session of, you know, another episode for us to follow up and and to see how this plays out. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I would love to see how now that you have this kind of perspective about what restorative looks like, how you can use that with intention to go from where you are now emotionally trying to recover from this really difficult situation and using that talent to bring you to a better place. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really eager to see that (laughs) and to experience that. (laughs) Well, um, for our listeners, all of Chris Lopez's information, Christopher Lopez is going to be in the show notes associated with this podcast episode at elkinsconsulting.com. So you'll have access to see his website and to follow him on LinkedIn and his social media links and to follow this man's story because it's really on to the next chapter. And I have a feeling the next few chapters are going to be pretty exciting. Thank you, Chris. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Listeners, it's your turn. What are you thinking about when you think about the difference in who you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and who you are now? How would people say that they experienced you then? And is it the same? I kind of doubt it. So the next question is, are you holding on to somebody else's older version of their authentic self? Or are you seeing their changes for what they are? their attempts to be different, to be better, to surround themselves with people who bring them up so that then they can return the favor for the next generation. Where are those sticking points? What are the questions you need to ask? And what will you do next to change your story? Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.